and welcome to Together in Christ, the radio ministry of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. We would love to have you join us for worship today. Our Bible studies begin at 9 a.m. for all ages, followed by a service at 10.30 a.m., and then our evening discipleship service at 6.30 p.m. We are located at 14260 South Dixie Highway in Monroe, Michigan. Our phone number is 734-241-6860. You can also find more on our website, www.mmbconline.org. Here is a message from our senior pastor, Tim Icoangeli. Have your Bibles this morning if you want to turn to the book of Ruth with me. It's in the Old Testament. It's really a beautiful book. I hope that you've read it before. If not, hopefully you'll read it before next week as we do study it together. Before we dive in uh, to it too much, I want to ask you how much you know about your family's story. It's kind of popular now to dive into your family's history. There's even, I've seen like TV shows about it. They take a celebrity and let them go around and find signatures of their great, great, great grandparents and different kinds of things. And uh, I don't know how much you, you know about your family's history. I, I don't know if you've done any of this uh, genetic testing and, and things like that. They have all that stuff, which is real, real popular um, nowadays. And maybe, maybe you've done that, done that before. And it's because we have a, we have an interest of, of who we are, right? We have an interest of, of where do we come from? And I've always been one to think and believe, and I I think it's true in a hundred years, chances are no one's really going to know me. Chances are nobody's going to know you anymore. Uh, your great, great, great grandkids, if somebody asks them, hey, who's your great, great grandpa? They're going to say, I don't know. I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. So they're not going to know how you and your wife met or any of the struggles you have or the things that you fought through in order for your family uh, to succeed or to do well. And, but still, that information for some of us is important. And so maybe you've took some time to dive into it and to find out a little more about your family history. And when we look at the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth is a, a narrative that we're giving, given in Scripture. And it's a narrative of part of our redemptive history as Christians, as believers in God's word. And so when we look at Ruth, we understand that this book is actually very important for us because it shows us God's plan and this plan that he has had for all time. And it's going to be interesting because we're going to look at some people back in history who, in fact, were very unimportant people, very unimportant people. We would say really no worth at all. I mean, that don't mean anything to me whatsoever. But yet God would use their lives, use their decisions, sometimes poor decisions, sometimes good decisions for his redemptive plan to unfold to where we even stand today. And we have the privilege of being able to look back and to see God's story unfold. I think sometimes we're kind of unfair when we look at scripture and we read stories and we read about people and we say, man, how dumb they were to not trust God in this situation. Well, you know why? You've got the whole story. You get to, you get to see it all. You know where it's headed. You, you know where it's going. 
But in life, it's not that simple. Many of us have cried out often in our life, why God, why now? Why is this happening? Where are you? What is taking place? There's a poet, William Cowper, and he said, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. You see, the problem with planting a footstep in the sea is there's, there's no footprint there. It's hard for us as we're going through life to look and to see what is taking place. But in scripture, we have the privilege of being able to look back and to see our story. And so I want to read Ruth 1, just verse 1 through 5 uh, this morning. The rest of the weeks, we'll be doing a whole chapter uh, together. And we're, this is kind of a, an intro into Ruth, but we'll still see some truths pulled out of these first five verses. It says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malone and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Milan and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Kind of a sad story that we see here, but I, I want to look at a couple things as we try to introduce Ruth, so we try to get a grasp of, of where we are and what is going on. In the, very first, in the very first verse, it talks about in the days when the, when the judges ruled, and this is very important. There was no king in Israel at this time, and actually in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it gives us a taste of what it was like to live during this time. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and catch this, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So that was the rule of the land. Whatever, whatever makes you happy, do it. Everybody was just kind of running chaotic. It probably was a, a very intense time to be living. Probably a scary time. It, wasn't, it was not a, a good scene. And what we see in Scripture when we see the times of the judges was that over and over again, the people of Israel would go before God and they would obey God. God would make promises to them. They would disobey God. God would have to send a prophet or somebody to speak to them or he would cause something to happen within the land. The people would repent, come back to God. And we see that playing over and over again until as you get a little down in the judges, you start seeing the people aren't repenting anymore. And God then starts to rescind starts to send redeemers to the land, people who would speak for God, and sometimes God would relent on some things because of an individual, even, because of one person and because of their faith. And so this was a difficult time to be living in Israel without a king, without much discipline, without really much good happening, uh, according to God's word. Also, you'll see in verse one, it says that there was a, a famine in the land. And now you say, I don't know why this is very important. This actually is very important 
Because if you go to the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, I'm not gonna read it for you. I'll trust that you can look at that yourself and be smart enough to understand it. But in Deuteronomy there, God lays out very clearly for his people Israel, listen, if you obey me, this is what's going to happen. I'm gonna bless your land. You will never go hungry. You will produce grain. You're gonna produce everything that you need to do. Everything is gonna be good. But if you disobey me, this is what's going to happen. And it's a long, scary section. And part of that is famine. Part of that is famine. And so what's happening in the land right now when Elimelech is in Bethlehem is there's a famine in the land and there's a, the reason there's a famine in the land is because they are not following God. They are not being faithful to God and to his law and to his word. And so what needs to happen within the land is repentance. They need to fall on their face before God and turn to him. And they know because they have seen it happen so many times that God will in turn bless them when that happens and when that takes place. And so this isn't something that God hid from his people. This isn't something that, uh, you know, they wouldn't know about. It was very clear. Even in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse one through three, and then also verse nine, I'm going to read this because I think it's very important. It says, and this actually, this was decreed in Moab, to be honest with you. It says, and when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in the, all the work of your hand and the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. Do you know what we see here in this passage? God's grace. A lot of times when we look at the Old Testament, people say God's grace isn't in there. It's just his wrath. It's his judgment. Oh no. His grace was alive and well, even in the Old Testament. And he's saying, listen, if you will just come back to me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a prosperous land and a prosperous people, but you must repent so that our relationship can be restored. Bethlehem is the house of bread. So Bethlehem was the prime spot for food. It was the prime spot to own land, to be a farmer, because it was known for how much it would produce. But now it's facing this famine because of rebellion against God. So we see due to this famine, Elimelech takes his family and they move to Moab. They go, they go over to Moab, east to Moab, and Moab is not a place that God's people are supposed to be. The word Moab actually means from father. This is not a good definition. It does not mean from father God. It actually goes back to Genesis chapter 19, verse 30 and 38, when Lot had children with his daughters. That's what it means from father. That's, what, that's where this land gets its name, from incest, from things that God did not want. And so we see actually in scripture how God would deal with Moab because Moab was an enemy of God's people all throughout history. This is where 
King Balak called, called on Balaam to curse Israel, if you remember that story. But in fact, it, it twisted on him and he called a blessing on Israel. And so it kind of backfired. Uh, Israel, when they were in the desert wandering, Moses sent word saying, we want to pass through Moab. And Moab said, no, you ain't coming through our land. Wouldn't let them. Wouldn't let them do it. So they had to go around Moab. We also see about Moab with King Solomon. They worship this God called Chemosh. This is a false God. And King Solomon married a Moabite woman who ended up leading him astray so much so that he would build a high place to this foreign God of Moab so that they could worship there. Moab was a place of destruction for Israel. It was not a place for an Israelite to go. There was no reason whatsoever to ever go into Moab. God made that very clear in his word. But yet still we see Elimelech choosing to go to Moab. He chooses to take his wife and go to this place that he was not supposed to be. And so what we see is we see Elimelech choosing to sin against God. God had already promised the land of Canaan and to Israel. He said, this is where you stay. This is the land that I have given you. This is the land that I have blessed you. And this is where you should live. This is where you reside. When famine comes, realize it's because of sin. Repent and food will come back. It will be restored. But no, Elimelech chose to run. Instead of facing the discipline of God, instead of responding how he should have to what was happening in the land and repent, he chooses to sin. And so as a result of his sin, there are some extremely severe consequences that his family faces that we see in these five verses. Now, I don't know the situation with Elimelech. He might have said to, to his wife, Naomi, you know what? Let's, let's hop over to Moab, which wasn't a hop, it was a journey. Let's, let's go over to Moab and we'll stay just a couple weeks. We'll get some food and we'll come back. I don't know, maybe, maybe that is what he said. I don't know what he was thinking when, in doing this, but what we see is they stayed a lot longer than, than what was expected. They stayed a lot longer than what was thought. So much so that their children go off and marry Moabite women, which is it, it, very clear in scripture that an Israelite does not marry a pagan woman, which we'll get to more of in a little bit. And so then to take it a little further, death occurs. Elimelech dies. Then both of his boys die. And so now the situation that Elimelech has put his family in is he has his wife, Naomi, absolutely helpless and hopeless in a foreign land. All because of a wrong decision he decided to make. He chose to sin against God, to go where he was not supposed to go, and now his family is in ruin. When we finish with verse five, when we're reading it like a book, we're stuck thinking, now what? There is no hope. She's going to die in that land, and that's gonna be the end of the story. We're never gonna hear of Elimelech. We're never gonna hear of Naomi. We're never gonna hear of Orpah or Ruth ever again. Their names will be forgotten in the annals of time. 
So when we read five verses like this in scripture, we have to ask the question, what can we learn from this? What can we see from this? What is God wanting us to know in this passage here? One of the things that I think we must remember and it's important for us to do is we must be willing to trust God's word above everything else, above all things. The grass is never greener on the other side when we're speaking about God's word. You see, that's what Elimelech saw. Oh, Moabites have food. We don't have food. It looks better over there. I'm going over there. But very clearly, God said, no, you don't go over there. That's not where you are supposed to be. Turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 91, the 91st Psalm, if you would. I'll give you a second to get there. Psalm 91. It says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot, because he has set his love upon me. Therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God has laid out very clearly for us that when we abide in him, we have protection, that we are covered, that we have the best life insurance policy that we can possibly get. Now we know as Bible believers and knowing God's word, that does not mean that we're gonna be safe all the time does not mean that we will not face troubles, that we will not face persecution, that we won't face these things. But we know that as we follow God's word, we have the promise that God will comfort us, that God will be with us, and that we can abide in his truth because his truth is true. His truth is what's true. Now what Elimelech saw was that that food is true. And the food I have here is not true. I'm going to trust in that truth more than I'm going to trust in God's truth. And so I'm going to take my family over here. Now, again, before we get on Elimelech's case too much, when we look at it, really, I think we must say as, as dads, as parents, 
Wasn't Elimelech just doing the right thing? His family was starving. Wasn't he just providing for them? Wasn't he just doing what God would call him to do as a dad, meeting the needs of his family in any way possible? And whatever he has to do, wouldn't it have been a bad dad to know that Moab had food, but not take them there to get some of the food and maybe let them starve to death in Israel? Isn't this the situation? See, too often we compromise God's word. We compromise it for success. We, we compromise it for comfort. We compromise it for what we perceive to be needs. And we think we're just doing the right thing. Whenever we compromise God's word, we are doing the wrong thing. There's no little sins. And you say, I just had to do that little sin to get by so that I could do better. This is what leads people to say, you know, when I'm facing the sword for my faith, if I just denounce God, I can actually do more for God later because then I can go share with other people later. What am I going to do in death? Well, that makes you think that you are the avenue that God has to save people and to send his word out, when in fact, maybe he's using your death. It's never okay to denounce God in those situations. It's never okay to compromise God's word. But I want you to think along with me, what are some ways today that we often compromise God's word? Yesterday, we had a leadership meeting here for all of our uh, ministry leaders and teachers, as we look to the future of things that are happening and taking place. And I'll be honest, one of the things that was very difficult for me is as we're talking about things on Sundays and different times, the questions come up, who in their right mind would come to church at four o'clock on a Sunday? And that, that, that troubles me because the Lord's day is not my day. The Lord's day is not your day. But what we've done is we've compromised it. We've taken God's word and we've compromised it. And we said, well, God, I'll give you an hour. I'll give you two hours, but the rest is for my son's basketball. The rest is for us to, to sleep because God, you told us to rest on the Sabbath day. And so we're going to rest and we're going to have family time at six o'clock. So how dare the church think that it should open its doors so that we can study God's word together at four o'clock? How dare they think it's at 6.30 that we could be there? Do they not know that we have to eat dinner? Do they not know that we're gonna starve to death? How dare they ask us of those things? I know that seems ridiculous. I know that when you sit there, you think, ah, stop poking and prodding at me, but is it not true? Is that not a compromise? I know in my life, I struggle with this every day. I struggle with this greatly with raising my children and trying to love my wife and trying to work and trying to be faithful is saying, God, I, am I compromising your word here to do this? Am I compromising your word for more security for my family? Am I compromising maybe the faith of my children because I want them to be liked by people around them? That's questions that I struggle with. That's questions that I often think about. That's the question that Elimelech faced and he chose the wrong decision. He compromised God's word and instead of giving his family safety, instead of filling their belly, we find them dead. 
and we find his wife all alone. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that other people probably did the exact same thing that Elimelech did. And I don't know if their story ended the same way as him and his family. I don't know. I'm not trying to say today that if you go off and sin and compromise God's word, that death is coming to you very shortly, so beware. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that even though death is coming very shortly, so beware. What I'm saying is there are consequences. We have to be ready to obey God even in the midst of strife, even in the midst of trouble, because God uses suffering to till up fertile soil in our lives so that we can hear from him more clearly, so that we can obey him. God tells us that all over his words, all over his word. We are going to suffer, but God is going to use our suffering for his glory and for his purpose. How often have you had people in your life who all of a sudden are going through a trial or a struggle who say, hey, what church do you go to? Hey, who's, who's your pastor? Hey, don't you pray sometimes? After September 11th happened, churches were full. Why? Suffering. All of a sudden, it hit all of us face to face. And people ran to what, what might give them hope, what should give them hope. And God uses those times of suffering, uses those times of trial to till up our hearts so that we can hear from him. And so Christian, listen to me, do not run from suffering. Do not run from trials. Now I can promise you, you're not hearing this in many churches today. You're hearing the opposite. I am telling you, take suffering and be glad of it and say, God, what do you want me to learn from it today? You say, Pastor Tim, you just don't understand. Oh, I understand. I haven't faced a lot of suffering in my life, I would say, with just some drastic, drastic news. I haven't experienced that yet, and I'm, I'm sure that day is coming. But I have my own trials. I have my own struggles. I, I sat right here this morning thinking, how in the world am I gonna preach because Satan has me so wrapped up right now and so down and I have to get up there and preach. And then we, saw, we sang a song about God's, God's patience with us and God hovering over us. And I think, well, that's how, God, because your word is still true regardless of my pitily little circumstance. That's how I'm gonna get up there and do that. Because you see, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person where I could have a thousand people come to me and say, Pastor Tim, you're awesome. And I could have one person come up to me and say, Pastor Tim, you stink. And you know what I think about? Pastor Tim, you stink. That's exactly what I think about for the rest of the week. And it happens every Sunday. Pastor Roy can attest to it too. At 1020, someone pulls up, hey, I just wanted to tell you this. And you're like, oh, what is it? You stink. <laughs> I can't believe the chair is here. I can't believe this was moved here. I can't believe the color of this. I can't believe you're thinking about this. I can't believe this. And, and for me, that just sticks with me all the time. And it, and it caused me to weigh down. I, I'm guessing some of you are the same way, right? I shouldn't, we don't run from those things. We lean on God's truth. We lean on knowing, God, you're in this. God, speak to me. God, help me. And so what we must be faithful to obeying God's word, believing in God's word, even in the midst of troubling circumstances. 
But the truth is, many of us continue to choose the world over God. And I want to ask you a question, and it's a very pointed question. How's that going in your life? As you continue to choose the world on a daily basis, how's it going? How are your kids as you continue to teach them that they're the most important thing in your life? How are they doing? Are they being raised in the way of the Lord? Do you see them submitting unto the Lordship of Christ and they have joy and pleasure in reading God's word? And is that what's happening in your family as you continue to choose the world over God? See, Jesus came and he came to save the lost. He, he came to save the broken. He, he came to save those who, who realize their emptiness and who realize their shame. And I have to believe that there's some of us in here this morning where you can honestly say, Pastor Tim, I've continued to choose the world, but all I have in my life is brokenness. All I have is shame. I don't have any hope. Do you know what, you know what the Bible tells us that is? That's the Holy Spirit right now just drawing you in. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you in, saying, this, this is you. And I came to save you from this. By faith, this can be true in your life, that, that Jesus is real, and that you no longer have shame, and that there no longer is any emptiness or brokenness. You can have that today through faith in Christ. Also, we see in this passage, I'm almost done, our sin and its consequences affect more than us. See, what were the results of the choice to move to Moab? Well, Elimelech faced some really bad things. His sons would marry pagan women, which is a horrible thing. Now, outside of Christian circles, people would say that's very bigoted or that's very racist of you. I would be the first to say many of our churches have racists and bigots in them. I'm not denying that for a second. But God very clearly tells us to not marry pagan husbands or pagan wives. We, we don't do that. Why? Because we do not serve the same master. We do not have the same goals. We are not oriented the same way. And so it just leads to disaster. It either leads to a, a broken family or it leads to a wife who's always miserable because her husband's not leading him to the Lord, leading her away all the time. All it leads to is strife. All it leads to is heartache. And that's what Elimelech experienced. We see death happen. We see his wife all alone and uncared for. I'm sure there are times in your life where you can see how your sins had an impact on people around you, and please know that they do have an impact on people around you. Oftentimes when God is dealing with me about sin, I'm miserable to the people around me. I'm angry, I'm mean, I'm short-tempered, and I have to go back and say, yeah, I'm sorry, it wasn't you, it's me. It's me, and it's my sin that's causing all of this to be an unsettling situation. And lastly, what I think we can pull from this passage, what we see is we can see the beginning of God using these situations for his glory. If we were to step back and end, like I said, in verse, uh, verses one through three, we would say, well, God, what in the world are you going to do now? So many dumb decisions being made, you can't use them. Just scrap them off to the side and go on to the next family. 
But in fact, what we see, if you jump to the end of Ruth, and I'm jumping ahead and I want to because to me it's exciting, what you actually see is all of a sudden you see a genealogy. You see a family history at the end. And do you know what it says? From Ruth comes her son. And from her son comes another son. And from that son comes Jesus. God, in some amazing way, because of his great grace, because of his love for his people, is getting ready to take Ruth, who is a foreign pagan woman, who the law says don't touch. He takes this untouchable person and he says, you know what? In fact, I'm going to have you be a part of my family tree. You're going to be in my lineage. So you know what, Ruth? For the rest of eternity, people are going to know your name. No one's going to remember Orpah. No one's going to remember Elimelech. No one's going to remember these names. But you know what, Ruth? Your name will always stand. Because you know why, Ruth? I've chosen you. I've delighted in you. And my grace is poured out on you. A foreign Moabite woman with no worth, God, we are going to see, is going to redeem and fill her with worth beyond her understanding beyond what she could ever imagine. That's what God is going to do in the book of Ruth. And some of you, you know you have that same story. God has took you, he has saved you by his great grace, and he has given you worth that to you is worth way more than anything this world can offer. Today, that offer is still there for those of you who haven't accepted it. For those of you who the Holy Spirit is drawing and and pulling into himself saying, yeah, you keep choosing the world. Aren't you tired of running this race? Aren't you tired of always being on the losing end of the spectrum? He's saying, come to me. I can give you rest. Come to me and trust in my son. I will show you grace. I will show you worth. I will give you a life that's really worth living. I will give you actually something that's worth dying for. If that's you this morning, I hope that you'll trust in Jesus as your savior. I hope that you'll accept it. Go home and read the rest of Ruth and see what God does in this story. Come back again if the Lord tarries and we'll, we'll study it together over the next few weeks. If this broadcast has affected your life today, or if you have any questions about anything that you've heard, please feel free to write us at info at mmbconline.org or like and comment on our Facebook page. This has been Together in Christ, radio ministry of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. Have a blessed day.